It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA. From the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. One of the most iconic Catholic churches in the world was at the center of the world's attention today. And you'd think Seattle would uh, be happy the president wants to send more, send more illegal immigrants to their sanctuary city, right? But first... Give us your bottom line. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. It is the bottom line. News Radio 610 at KONA, hour number two on your Monday afternoon. Rob Francis at Dawson with you, 547-1610 if you want to get involved. Joining us on the line is the man who, for the last three days, was the governor of the state of Washington. <laughs> Welcome to the program, <laughs> the treasurer. Of the state of Washington, Mr. Dwayne Davidson. How are you, sir? Very good. Yeah, they, whenever they put me in charge, there's nothing interesting happening. They all go home, too. So. Well, first question, how many executive orders did you sign this past weekend? <laughs> yeah, I should have been busy doing that, shouldn't I? I'm starting to slack. I need to, uh, I need to do that. They don't have any legislation pending that I can veto, so I have to go out there and do something, right? Well, you know the power of that pen, one line at a time. <laughs> yeah, good. So before we get into it, we do have a question uh, that we'd like to pose to you from one of our listeners. He'd like to know if you're going to run for governor in 2020 or if you're looking at a second term for treasurer, he would really like you to run for governor, though. <laughs> no, I, 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 I've already committed to uh, running for a second term as a treasurer. So I appreciate the uh, the confidence, but uh, uh, I like I like this gig. And so I'll be running for reelection here. And you're doing a fine job at it, sir, very much. So let's begin with uh, one of your passions and certainly something that everybody here over on the east side of the state looks at very closely, and that's the Rainy Day Fund. And uh, how is the how is the management of that going, and how is our balance sitting? Well, you know, uh, this is a time of extraordinary uh, uh, revenues for the uh, state. Our state's doing very, very well. But uh, we seem to have an issue about spending it just as fast as we can make it. And so we went to the uh, – I'm a member on the Economic Forecast Council, and I asked a question there the other day about how we are sitting uh, with the uh, uh, rainy day and ending uh, fund balance. Those two together are basically our cushion uh, to take us through an economic downturn. And the answer and, – and I, and I do acknowledge, and I knew that before I even asked the question – that we are in better shape than we were in 2009, the last big recession, because of the fact we're actually utilizing the rainy day fund. However, I uh, already kind of knew the answer to the question I was asking, in that we I don't think that we're at an adequate uh, level. And uh, the answer I got was they have a pessimistic uh, forecast and a uh, and a more optimistic forecast about a downturn. But uh, however, uh, uh, I was asking the question in particular. How would we do if we were hit with a recession that was similar to 2009 and uh, that we experienced then? We had several bank closures and things. And because I didn't get an answer there, I came back to my competent staff and asked them if they could uh, uh, compile one of those for me. And uh, Jason Richter, my one of my deputy treasurers here, has compiled that. And uh, Jason, you want to go ahead and elaborate a little bit about what we found out when we uh, ran the numbers? Sure. 
You know, I, I think big picture when we look at fund balance, we look at the rainy day fund and the ending fund together. Uh, end of fiscal year 2019, we we're estimated to have $3.5 billion in those two funds. We looked at two scenarios. We looked at what happens to those fund balances if we have a, a moderate recession. And what we found there is that there's enough in the fund balances to protect the state for two years and the point of exhaustion would happen sometime in fiscal year 2022. Um, we took another look at a more severe recession, something along the lines of what happened in 2008, and what we found that while our rainy day fund and our fund balance um, are currently in a really good position, that that money wouldn't even get us through a one year of a, a recession of the magnitude of the 2008 recession before those funds are exhausted. And personally, I just think that a, uh, a we have to take there. There is no kind of benchmark, no magic number about what uh, what you should have in the rainy day fund. But I think it should certainly be enough to carry you through a year in the most severest of of uh, economic downturns that we have experienced uh, just a decade ago. And so uh, these are the type of uh, things we try to inform our legislature about as a treasurer, basically. That's what we do is we uh, uh, look over the look over the finances and provide the reports and provide the financial transparency of where we're at and uh, we're we're uh, uh, talking to them uh, uh, in detail by producing this report for and making available to them that uh, we think we could be tucking a little bit more into the rainy day fund. We're talking with Treasury Secretary Joy Davidson here on the Bottom Line News Radio six ten K O N A, Mr. Davidson. How is the, the the deposits into the rainy day fund, are they based on a formula or are they voluntary deposits by the legislature? No, they, they, are, uh, they are set in statute. Uh, at the end of the biennium, uh, excess revenues uh, are uh, placed uh, into uh, the uh, rainy day fund. However, they do with withdrawals uh, from that and... Uh, uh, it, 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 it's by a formula of one uh, percent, and uh, it's uh, um, uh, the, the trouble is that they've been uh, taking money out of the rainy day fund for uh, uh, you know just last year. It was part of the compromise we had on the education uh, reform, uh, McCleary, that uh, a sizable chunk uh, got transferred out, and so. Uh, that's what is the problem is that they, uh, by simple majority, they can divert money before it even gets to the rainy day fund, which does require a supermajority to take out once it's in there. So let me ask you this question, Mr. Davidson. Mm-hmm. If we were to have something happen to one of our industries, say the federal government decides to change its mind on legal marijuana, what? how much of an impact percentage-wise, ballpark, would that have on revenue? And then, based on that, how much of an implementation or how much of an impact on the rainy day fund would that have? Well, that'd be kind of hard to predict. I mean, I hate to be kind of uh, uh, vague about that, but it really does kind of depend upon the industry. One particular industry type, one particularly, uh, you know, uh, uh, probably not all that great, uh, but a great recession, we've gone a long time without a recession. This is one of the longest periods of expansion that we've experienced uh, for all time. And just don't know how severe that next recession may be. 
uh, property values are up at record value, uh, record amounts, and good port, you know, the Seattle area and other places. And so, if there's a major economic downturn, it could be, it could potentially be pretty severe. And I don't think we have the rainy day fund balance to uh, uh, to facilitate uh, weathering ourselves through that. We're talking with State Treasurer Dwayne Davidson here on the Bottom Line News Radio six ten K O N eight. You mentioned the the fact that. Money is put in and taken out of the rainy day fund, much like you would, say, a bank account. Mm-hmm. What about the concept of a state bank? Well, the the state bank, unfortunately, is a uh, is just a horrible horrible idea. We've uh, uh, that is brought up uh, over and over again about a possible way of funding for some of our infrastructure. Uh, there's uh, several legislators here that are promoting it uh, this year. Uh, our office did a comprehensive study because this is not a novel idea. This is not a new idea. This has been looked at in the just past decade alone by several states and several municipalities. And one thing I did last year is I took my office through an exercise that we went and obtained by public records all of these uh, various reports that were done at great expense to taxpayers throughout the nation by different states and, uh, uh, like I said, a couple cities. And we looked at all of these various studies. And so we called it the study of the studies, where we studied these bank, uh, uh, state bank uh, uh, proposals, all of which, by the way, have decided not to go ahead with a state bank. And uh, we summarized the information that we found from those. That report is out on our website, too. And basically, the concentration of all the money at the state level and counting the state to run that better than some of the other state agencies around. I mean, you know, I'm a part of state government, but I have to admit that a lot of what takes place here is not the most efficient in manner. And, and putting that all under a heading and thinking that the legislators won't mingle with it and, uh, and uh, try to manipulate it is uh, uh, what, what kind of a risk would that be? Even after we issued our report, the city of Los Angeles voted just this last November on creation of a public bank for just the city of Los Angeles. Very progressive idea and a very, very progressive uh, city. And it went down in a resounding defeat. And I think that that is a, a good idea that if you can't sell that concept to the city of Los Angeles, why are we even debating it up here? But uh, the progressives think that this will give them the opportunity to finance uh, so much and it just won't. Uh, we just don't have the money available to us to make those type of loans. The money still has to come from somewhere. And what scared me the most is one of the bills that would drop this year actually called out one of the funding sources to be the, uh, the public pensions. And the reserves that we have for the public pensions, which is about $100 billion, that should not be put up for risk of loss. And uh, I think that uh, that would be bad, bad public policy. Well, you know, the money could always come from a capital gains tax. You could do lots of things with that, right? Oh, yeah. And they have a capital gains on the uh, agenda this year. Uh, What I like is that everybody talks about all the revenue this capital gains is going to bring in and the long-term disability uh, legislation that also is, uh, what is that, uh, House Bill 1087, I believe, that is uh, a through one chamber, the capital gains is through one chamber and sitting in the Senate now. What I keep looking at 
is I keep pulling the fiscal notes on these and seeing how much it's going to cost to implement all this tax collection. They act like this might just going to fall in the coffers, uh, and it doesn't. It's going to require uh, employees. The long-term disabilities legislation that's being uh, discussed has 34 FTEs in the first year, 61 FTEs in the second, and 120 employees. New employees are not working here now. Uh, to implement that alone, we go over to the capital gains. That's going to require uh, a whole uh, collection. I think it's like one estimate was 50. Uh, we, well, actually, that particular legislation, we don't have a good figure on because the, the original legislation had it at 50. Later estimate had it at about 100. And now the one that's actually being debated, they don't have a fiscal note on it yet. I find that interesting. We're debating legislation. We don't even know what it's fully going to cost. And, uh, and, and, you know, another 100 employees here, another 100 employees there. We just continue to, gr- to grow the footprint of the cost of government. Well, the public service unions will be happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll have a few more membership dollars rolling in. But, but maybe one reason that there is no note attached to the capital gains tax, Mr. Treasurer, is the fact that um, – they can't guarantee how many people are going to stay in the state of Washington if that winds up coming along because Cal- California saw people pick up new addresses in Nevada. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, people do they do make those kind of decisions. So is there one other piece of legislation that you are looking at uh, right now that concerns you outside of the capital gains and the long-term disability tax? Uh, those are some of there's some other administrative things going on here that we're working on. But as far as legislation, those are the ones, the big ones we're kind of monitoring. The one that con- uh, extremely concerns me is the uh, is the one that has no probability of actually passing this year, and that's the uh, state bank concept. But I still worry about that greatly because I think that would establish a mechanism that could uh, uh, could be disastrous for the long term health of the state and make for the opportunity for huge losses to incur that ultimately will have to be paid for by the taxpayers. So of all of this, I think that that, which doesn't have much of a chance to pass this year, but they keep working on this and they keep gaining converts uh, that think that this is a, is a good idea. That one worries me the most, actually. Uh, and, uh, and so that's where we're at. Former governor of the state of Washington, <laughs> at least for this past weekend. I like that. <laughs> well, we wish it was a little more permanent over on this side of the state, sir. But yeah. he is currently your state treasurer, Mr. Dwayne Davidson. Thank you very much for your time. Always appreciate it when you can join the program, sir. Love being with you guys. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. <laughs> wow. That would be that would be something. I'll tell you. What, that, would, it, what would happen? I mean... He, He's not going to. But what would happen if Inslee came back and, Dwayne, you did what? (laughs) (laughs) There'd be a lot of smiling faces over here, that's for sure. But we're the bottom line when we come back. Join the show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back to the bottom line with Robin A. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City on News Radio 610, KONA. This hour brought to you in part by Perfection Tire, four Tri-Cities locations to serve you. This is the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA, Ed Dawson, Rob Francis, 
and you, 547-1610. Very uh, thorough and enlightening conversation with our state treasurer, Dwayne Davidson. Um, You know, it gets more and more interesting because as we see the pieces of legislation that get presented, um, you know, we see what's on the paper, the proposition of said things. And then to talk to the state treasurer and hear, well, you know, these are all fine and great and dandy, but what they don't tell you is what they put in the fine print, which is how much it's actually going to cost the state to implement these things and how many more people are going to get brought on board to grow the size of the state government to actually make these things work without having a dime put in yet. Yeah. You know, so the the long-term disability bill, over 100 new employees over the course of two years before anybody's able to even take any money out, you're already adding payroll, and we know the way it works at the state government level. Nobody works cheap. So you're talking a significant amount of money that's going to get put in to build this. Was it budgeted? Think about that for a second. How much of the state budget gets impacted or affected based on if these bills pass or not? So do we have things, do we have items in the current biennial budget that is being negotiated right now that covers the cost of the people that are going to be hired to run these programs? Or, as the, you know, Nancy Pelosi famously said, we got to pass it before we can find out what's in it. Yeah, right. You know, so do we pass them and then all that gets added to the budget on top of it and it changes the budget figures? Now, these these are all these things that sit there in the fine print. And it's, it, it's frustrating. I think it's frustrating for anybody that goes to work nine to five, has all these things that they're responsible for taking care of, and then you find out the state wants to throw this on top of it and take this much more out of your paycheck. You know, this long-term disability passes, that's just under, just under the level that the state can legally take out of your paycheck. It'll be at 0.99%. 0.99% is what they can legally take out of your paycheck. Combine that with the, with the family leave plan that went into effect. The two of those combined add up to 0.99%. Well, you know, at least may it's as well, not a capital gains tax. May as well call it an income tax. <laughs> may as well. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're doing in the capital gains. If Jerry Brown, Jerry Brown of all people. Yeah. If he backed off of the concept. Hmm. Yeah. Governor Moonbeam said this isn't working and it's a tax. What does that tell you about the volatility of a capital gains tax? But hey, you know what? But we're Washington. We can, we'll do it better. When you're just running on climate change, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how volatile that is. You're just running on climate change. You're not running on tax solvency. Going to take a time out here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA 547-1610. If you'd like to join the conversation, more of the show after this. 
Now back to the bottom line on News Radio 610 KONA. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline 509 547 1610. This hour brought to you in part by Ben Franklin Transit, connecting our communities. You can visit them at bft.org. Let's go right to the phones. You're up on the bottom line. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Oh, if you're still got me on hold, this is Linda from Benton City. And what's on your mind today? Well, I was listening. I was in the car, so driving, so I couldn't respond at the time. But I was listening to your chat about needle exchange. And the one thing that kind of confuses me a little bit is this one for ten because of sterility concerns. Now, I used to work... Uh, in the biology department out at Battelle, plus I've had a farm and so been vaccinating calves and doing some of my own doctoring for, for years. And I have syringes, or not syringes, but needles that come, they're all sterilized and they come in in boxes of 100, but in strips of five. But the, 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 five, the five in a strip are um, kind of individually packaged with serrated serrate, serrations in between so you can tear off one one needle and it'll stay sterile and the rest in that packet will also remain sterile so why they can't do that and make the exchange uh, one for one and even though if these make, I don't know what their setup is for their 10 sterile needle, needles in a package, but these can be separated and each needle remains, keeps its sterility. And even if they cost more to start with, it seems like it would still be cheaper to give out one for one rather than 10 for one. Thank yeah. you for the call. We appreciate it. And that is certainly one question that has been asked over and over and over again is that um, most people that have had, whether it's by prescription or gone into a local drugstore and purchased multiple needles, be they diabetic, be they uh, on some kind of injection program, um, receive needles that are individually packed and individually uh, contained. And it comes back to one of those questions. If you can't break up a pack of 10 due to sterility, how can you be guaranteed that that everything in that pack or how you're getting them is completely sterile? You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you open up one and take out one, you're saying that the other nine are no longer sterile. But that would imply that the other that would imply to me that all ten needles don't come with a cap on them. You know what I mean? Possibly, yeah. So then you're giving away a pack of ten that don't have any protection on getting stuck potentially by a needle, and I've I've never seen a needle that doesn't come with a plastic cap on the end of it. Have you? No, it's a it's a curious thing. Appreciate the call. And, absolutely, and she's, she's absolutely right. And and we've heard we've heard from a few people. Um, either in the medical community or uh, those are, that are diabetic, uh, that you can get needles 
packaged that way. Whether they cost more and they can, you know, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not going to be an apologist for anybody. No, but but we've been, uh, the 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 point is that we have been told by Blue Mountain Heart to Heart that they can only distribute in packs of ten for sterility concerns and issues. That's what they keep saying, and so th- there's. In some regards, that's the end of the debate, because where else do you go? Well, I, mean, here, I, I think where you go is the other questions that arise. And sure. that is, and that is you, you count how many that you're putting out, but you don't count how many are coming in. So you're not counting the amount that you're bringing in. You're not accurately assessing. You're not actually counting for whatever reason is or multiple reasons are given. You put them in a little red box, and you approximate. You count the boxes. Well, the boxes are great, but you can't exactly, without counting exactly how many you bring in, you can't approximate what you put in a box that might hold up to 50. Maybe you could stuff 55 in there, you know, depending on a good day. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you're not accurately counting what's going in, then you can't accurately state what your return rate is. But if you're accurately stating what's going out, well, what's the end result of what you're putting out? What you're reporting that's going out, and what does that affect? That affects your funding. Yeah. So, True. so what we've what we've kind of been led to believe in this process is it's not what you bring in that determines your funding, because if what you brought in determined your funding, there would be an accurate count of what you're bringing in. It's what you put out. Yes, it's the amount that you put out. And again, I'm not. I'm not saying that there's. I'm. I'm not accusing anybody of any nefarious no, activities. No, no one's accusing anybody of however, nefarious activities. However, it's we're looking we're at all, the dots. We're all yeah. We're all smart people here. Let's look at this. If you handed out one for one versus handing out ten for one, you can go back and apply for your grant and say, well, we hand out. 10,000 needles when you really only took in 1,000, right? If you had 330 people served in 10 months or 330 individual customers or three, however that number is made up, okay, if you did 330, you take that number over the course of 10 months. If you did a one-to-one, that's 330 needles you would have given out in 10 months. Even if you did one to one plus one, that's 660 needles that you give out. Even if you do one plus 10, that's 3,300 needles, 330 needles you would have given out in a one plus 10. Okay. Where does 20,000 in a month come from? And those other previous numbers would be over the course of 10 months. So where does 20000 in one month come from? That's like the million-dollar question. That's the, that's the funding question. That's the 20000 one month, 17000 the previous month, but 330 people overall in 10 months. Yeah, because then you can go back to whoever you got the grant money from and say, see, we did this, Yes. so we need enough funding to do at least that, if not more. And why are we talking about the needle exchange again? Well, news came over the weekend that uh, Ideal Option has uh, decided to move the needle exchange from their Bruno Place location to their facility off of Gage Boulevard. 
And it's part of our poll question, yes. too. At bottom line 610, uh, paraphrasing here, but does that move uh, make better sense? Is it a more appropriate location? Let's go to the phones. You're up on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Who's this? Where are you calling from? This is uh, Joe Smith. And my question is, is, is there federal money involved in this program? There is. There's some federal money, but from, from our understanding, most of the money is state and local. There is okay, some federal, so, but that's not, the, uh, lar- that's not the largest amount. However, it doesn't really matter the amount. They still fall within the federal acquisition requirements to disclose where they buy stuff, how much they paid, and report that to the government. Okay? doesn't matter if it's 1 or 25 or 50. Okay? They need to be audited by the uh, GAO to uh, pin it down and find out how much they are actually spending and where the money goes and what's the disposal cost of the ones that they do receive and uh, how all that works works out and that's never been discussed you're absolutely you're absolutely right thanks for the call joe by the way the population of pasco is roughly fifty nine thousand. yeah thirty seven thousand in two months is over half of the population of the city of pasco yeah so over half of the population the city of pasco that amount of needles was given away in two months at 330 people visited in 10 let's go back to the phones you're up on the bottom line who's this where are you calling from hi dave what's up I got a little math for you. A friend of mine just uh, went over some equation, tried to explain to me. He goes, he's close to the, uh, he's close to this. Okay. So five times a day, seven days a week, 35. 35 times four is 140. If you have a, only 100 addicts, that's 14,000 yields right there. They're only open one day a week. Yeah. Pretty crazy, huh? They're only open one day a week. Yeah, that would Absolutely. be that would be if they had regular business hours. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, you mentioned five days a week. Yeah, they're open one day, one day a for, week. Uh, what three hours? Right? Yeah, one, or five. I think. Five yeah, I think hours. it's eleven to two. That's five. It's one for five hours a day. Yeah, and so three, as we mentioned, three hundred and thirty went through there over the course of ten months, being open one day a week. Yet they don't collect any information about. The people who come in. Right. Or count how many needles come in. <laughs> well, I just, I, where did the 330 come from? That's, that's Again, But see, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, is, no, I understand. Is, is what we hear come out says we, we, we don't have this, we don't have that, we don't have this. Then through other avenues, you get other data that's pushed forward, whether somebody, you know, releases it to this media outlet or somebody releases something to this media outlet then you wind up seeing other numbers that wind up getting put out there that, again, begins to maybe not necessarily complete the puzzle, but adds more pieces to the puzzle, but yet still not enough to completely put the puzzle together. Hence all the questions. It is a puzzle. You are correct. 547-1610 is the number. You're listening to The Bottom Line on News Radio 610 KONA. 
Can't get in by phone? Give us your bottom line through email. Send your thoughts from the bottom lines page at 610kona.com. Back to the bottom line. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City on News Radio 610-KONA. And this hour brought to you in part by the kitchen creators at Bunch Finnegan. Making your dream kitchen come true at 9 East Columbia Drive in Kennewick. Let's go to the phones. You're up on the bottom line. Who's this? Where are you calling from? It's Scott from Prosser. Hi, Scott. What's on your mind? Uh, the needle exchange thing. I, I think it's, you know, more going to create more harm than it is good. And I don't know why they just don't use hospitals or clinics or something that are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they got a place to put the bad needles. Um, maybe even one out of ten will actually even maybe seek some, seek some sort of help while they're in there. So, I don't know. The program just doesn't seem to work for me. Thanks for the call, Scott. Appreciate it. You know, that's ideal option states that its goal is to get people into treatment. So the people that walk in their doors or are referred to them or uh, however they manage to make their way to an ideal options, that is that is their mission is to get people into treatment. Um, hospitals, boy, that's a tough one. I mean, and urgent cares and, and, and other clinics, it's a tough one because they're not they're not set up to provide that type of, of specialized intense care. Well, look, the the ERs are already overtaxed. Yes, you know they're they're they're, you know, they're not set up to to be able to handle. They're set up to handle if somebody's having a medical issue. Yeah, uh, but not but not simply to try and get somebody into into a treatment program. Um, <coughs> as far as you know, there are less questions surrounding those things. There are less questions that surround a, a detox facility than there are with this. Do you even know how they're classified? Are they, I mean, they're, they're not a, they're not considered a medical facility. Well, you know, pro- professional uh, medical service, uh, professional um, services. They, but I mean, they don't have a doctor on site. Well, it, it, well, if it would be, counseling services right but but they don't provide those they don't they don't do that there they just give out needles uh, ideal the, options does yes but the needle exchange does right no the, the that's what i'm okay, that's what i'm wondering how, right how how is that classified as far as a you know because for example you walk into ideal options okay they'll accept your they accept insurance they you go through the road they're classified as a medical facility so they're protected under hipaa laws and so on and so mm-hmm. forth how is the needle exchange classified? Is that classified as as, as I mean because they don't they don't do treatment. They don't have the the staff on hand to be able to um, necessarily provide medical care. They have some anti overdose medications on hand. The naloxone, the naloxone, and stuff like that, but. They just swap needles. I mean, what kind of a classification is that under the law that means they don't have to check people's IDs or anything like that? That that, that, that you're 
you don't have to do that to make sure, say, you're not giving a minor a syringe because that would be illegal. So what kind of a classification exempts you from being able to do that? And if they are classified that way, then okay, but we don't know that. You're up on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Mike from Kennewood. What's up, Mike? Well, it's kind of a kind of a far-fetched uh, analogy here, but it's like uh, offering an oil change, but bring your own oil. You know, uh, I, I don't understand this whole needle exchange concept. Uh, I don't, and that's all I got to say. Thanks for the call, Mike. And 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 you're you're not the only one. I think there's a lot of people when they. You know, when they look at the area, they look at the community. It's very easy to look at the numbers of people that have uh, cases of chronic hep C that have been reported, chronic hep B that have been reported, HIV that have been reported. The Department of Health in the state of Washington has all those statistics, and they keep all those statistics. And when you look at the amount of people in the three counties in question, Walla Walla, Franklin County, and Benton County, you do you add them all up and you come to a figure. It is over 20 times less than the amount of needles that were given out in one month by the needle exchange. And that, again, raises a question. A need-based situation would not dictate 20,000 needles where you're talking in a city like Pasco, it's about one-third of the population. You're talking about the city of Kennewick where it's a little bit less than one-third of the population. You're talking Walla Walla. It's one-third of the population. Man, woman, child. Not talking about somebody going in for the services. We're talking man, woman, child. Mm -hmm. So if you responsibly believe that putting 20,000 needles out on the street when you don't even have a 1,000 cases of Hep B, Hep C, or HIV confirmed and reported in the year 2017 in any of those three locations or the three combined, it raises a question. Why do so many have to go out? That, to me, isn't responsible. That's not responsible. That leads to what we had at the Alano Club. That leads to the pictures that have been all over social media over the course of the last six weeks to two months about needles in the ground in those areas. And again, they're not marked. So you have plausible deniability. Oh, they didn't come from us. Well, there wasn't a needle exchange there three months ago. So what? They just kind of found their way there? Or they, they, they came up from out of the ground? I mean, again, those questions, like we said earlier, the exchange is moving from Bruno to Gage Boulevard, adjacent to the Ideal Options locations, right by the train tracks back there. If you're interested, if it's something that you think might be a good piece of compare and contrast, swing on down there and take pictures by the train tracks and... Take pictures along the stretch and see how it looks right now. And then in six to eight weeks, go back by the train tracks and take pictures and see if it looks any different. That's all for the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA coming up. All your news, weather and traffic on the afternoon report. Stay with us.